Rise and shine, it's On The Whistle time. Welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. I am your host, Alistair Howarth, and today alongside me is not Zayn Nabi, it's not Courtney Fries, it's not Francis Inquain. It's the newest member of our pod, fresh out of Cape Town, Ferdos Monda. Ferdos, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm well. It's actually very, very cold in Cape Town at the moment. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not having a, the the best weather time, but uh, I'm well. I'm excited for what's going to be, I hope, an amazing conversation with somebody that really all football fans should know, should be interested in, should care about because. It's phenomenal. You know, we're having such an amazing year in South Africa of women's sport. We had the T20 Cricket World Cup. We've got the Nepal World Cup on our doorstep. We are the African champions in football. And I just think this is an amazing year and an amazing time to be telling women's stories in a country where really we know women have a lot of problems. You know, we've got huge rates of GBV. We've got a massive patriarchy to overcome. And here we are celebrating our success. So I'm very excited to be here. I mean, there's there's certainly loads to celebrate from a South African perspective and from a footballing perspective in general, because it is, we have a very, as you mentioned, we have a very, very special guest today. You know, we're heading into my favorite time of the year, which is the, uh, the kind of Northern Hemisphere summer, but more importantly, the World Cup time. And in this year, it's the FIFA Women's World Cup is kicking off in Australia and New Zealand. And returning to the podcast is a one-time AFCON finalist as a player, one-time finalist as a head coach. And now, since her last appearance on the show, a AFCON champion. It's Coach Desiree Ellis. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm also in the very cold Cape Town. I uh, came home for a couple of days and uh, it's freezing outside, but, uh, uh, you know, I get to spend time with family before we go into camp um, because uh, that's going to be long and hard. So just clearing the mind a bit and going in refreshed. Yeah, and Coach, you know, we're on the verge of the World Cup. You know, like you said, you're about to start off traveling for who knows how long and the busyness and the hecticness, you know, for you, you know, reflecting a little bit on the last year, the journey from the AFCON and now going into the World Cup, you know, how do you feel in terms of that, in terms of yourself, but also banyana banyana going into the World Cup? I'll be really looking forward to it, though. Um, You know, um, getting back to back was, was huge for us. Um, that was the, the the key one before going for the big one, which was the WAFCON. Um, I think since WAFCON, um, you know, many lives have been changed. You know, um, you know, players got a couple of contracts in different countries. Um, you know, the league has gotten better. Um, you know, that has really helped. It's not where we want to be, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, you know, having a couple of prep matches in the beginning, you know, against the big guns like Brazil and Australia. And then, you know, uh, preparing differently going into this next World uh, the this World Cup, which will be happening soon, and and because there being only two FIFA dates in the year, you know, no longer January, no longer June, it's very difficult to get uh, you know um, opposition. But we were quite happy with what we got, and we used you know the April window for a longer period to work with the local base players, and we also had a local camp in May as well as a you know goalkeeping camp. So that's really really helped us. You know, if, uh, our conditioning coach has also been in contact with clubs and players, you know, especially the ones abroad, checking up on them and also, you know, helping uh, with players locally. We sort of have a partnership with the academies, sports academies around the country, you know, to assist us in uh, getting us into better shape, etc. Because we know, you know, this one's going to be more difficult. Um, this one's going to be extremely difficult in terms of, um, you know, only two teams qualify out of the group. There's no chance of a third place. Um, you know, uh, 
we could have had a much more difficult draw. Not that this one isn't difficult. You know, we could have had um, Netherlands and, um, you know, uh, uh, USA, two top 10, Japan and Spain, you know, two top 10. You could have had France and Brazil, you know, and we're not underestimating any team in the group, but, you know, we've grown and we've matured as a, as a group. And uh, we're really looking forward, you know, to the start of the World Cup, but we still have a little bit of work to do coming up in the next camp. Desiree, can I ask you, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned the work that you guys have done and you've spoken about the enormity of qualifying for a second successive time. And as a, as a football fan, it's, to me, the contrast is so stark. Bafana Bafana haven't qualified for 20 years and here are our women qualifying twice in succession. What would be the marker of success this time? You've spoken about the difficulties of getting out of the group, but are there small goals you want to tick along the way? And, and how will you return from there saying, OK, we did it. That, that was what we came to do, besides obviously coming home with the trophy. Yeah, look, um, celebrating Banyana is key for us. We always say, you know, um, you know, let's not mention Bafana, let's just celebrate the women, you know. Um, you know, Bafana are going through a transition period and very happy that they qualified for, for the AFCON because that's a start. You know, um, it's been a long time and, uh, you know, we look forward to, to them going to their competition. But, um, you know, always the first game. I think the start of the tournament is always key for us. We always um, say if we have a good start, you know, it sets the tone for the rest of the tournament. And it doesn't get any tougher than Sweden. You know, we've played them on a few occasions, um, you know, especially in Cape Town, played them at the Olympics, etc. So we know of them, a quality side, um, you know, going also through a bit of a transition. Um, you know, but they still have quality players. You look at the players all over the world, you know, in the bigger and the better leagues. So getting a positive result in that game will really, you know, set the tone. Um, you know, um, like in 2019, we felt we could get a result against Spain. And for 68 minutes, we were there or thereabouts. And the other games became much more difficult. And we don't want to put ourselves in that position. We want to make sure that we get a positive result in the first game. And then obviously, in the next two, try and get a win somewhere. Um, win a draw um, because it is possible. I think when you look at the men's World Cup recently, they've shown you that the rankings don't matter. You know, um, Morocco were not destined to come out of the, or, or, or the pundits didn't say that they were going to get out of the group. And to be honest, they almost won the World Cup. They had this belief, they had this plan, and they stuck to the, the, that plan. And I think that's going to be key, you know, that our players all um, stick to the plan, that we all understand what it is that we need to do. So this upcoming camp is going to be very crucial. You know, it's going to be the first time where we have the whole group in camp for a very long time because the overseas-based players are always coming in, you know, a couple of days before the game and we're arriving a couple of days before a game, etc. So it's going to be key that we get that, to, that, that we get that together. But those small little, small little ones, you know, first game, game by game, day by day, and then we look at the next game and, and make sure that we stay focused on what's right in front of us and the first, first obstacle is obviously, and the first ch uh, challenge is obviously uh, Sweden. Uh, we know of, um, you know, Italy and Argentina, but um, it's in the back of our minds, but we don't want to look too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, just speaking of Morocco, I mean, they're the talk of the town and, and really the, the celebrants on the continent. And people seem to think that their infrastructure has set them up really well, investment infrastructure, two-tier professional league and so on. Uh, apart from them and also talking of the other two African teams, there, what are you expecting on the whole? How's the continent going to perform at this World Cup? Well, Nigeria's been ever-present at the World Cup. And, uh, you know, they've done extremely well going to World Cups, you know, got out of the group stages um, 
2019 for the first time in a very long time. You know, we've seen what Zambia has done at the Olympics, you know, um, you know, very um, underrated team. And I think uh, with the quality opposition that they, you know, getting along the way, they surely get themselves ready for the World Cup. Um, you know, I think the gap is starting to close, um, you know, in terms of uh, Africa and, and the rest of the world. But we, we need more um, competition. You know, it's easy for them in Europe just to get on a bus and drive across the board and play someone, you yeah. know, and, and play someone higher ranked than you, of course, you know. Playing the higher ranked opposition also gives you that extra bit of quality that you need. You know, the only higher ranked teams on the continent is is, is Nigeria. Um, so your ranking doesn't really improve, you know, when you, you play any of the other teams. And I think uh, getting more quality opposition will really help. I think Africa is a gold mine. Um, you know, it hasn't been tapped into yet, but I think there's a gold mine there. And all over the over the continent, you know, you look at Tanzania, have a fantastic program. Botswana has a fantastic mm -hmm. pro program, program as well. And you speak about Morocco, I think, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, you know, everybody's going to be looking at how they can catch up. Yeah, and coach, kind of on that, I remember the last time you came in our podcast, you you've said that that was the biggest barrier to Banyana is kind of the need for sponsors to come alongside, the need for professionalization, and you know that was right at the beginning of the Hollywood Bits uh, Super League kicking off. And also, I mean, you know, I remember at the at the Afcon, you know, even in your press conference, you were you know celebrating, you were happy, but you were also saying this is this can't be the end, this is the start. We have to be progressing from here. We have to be building up. You know, have you seen that difference? You know, how has it, have things changed since the AFCON victory in South Africa in terms of the investment? Do you see that progress or are we still kind of lagging behind where we should be? I think a lot of players have obtained personal sponsorship as well, uh, which is fantastic for the game. We see, um, you know, another professional team um, taking the women's team on board, TS Galaxy. Mm -hmm. You know, that is, that, is really that is really fantastic. You know, you see... Um, Tux, so the University of Pretoria have a team in the National yeah. First Division. Their team is now gained, prom gained, prom gained promotion as well. Royal AM has taken over the likes of Bloemfontein Celtic. And, you know, that has really helped the game. And we, we're looking forward to the day that the other teams, you know, have female teams because they are brands on their own. You know, the likes of Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs, they will bring a lot of brands along with them because of who they are. You know, and uh, and uh, the support that they have around the country, but I think uh, the league has also improved. You know, you're looking at um, you know teams that struggled in the first two years, and I'm the top off of the team. You know, it's not it's not as easy. It's not as easy as as um, as as uh, you know it was in the past for the top teams. It's much more difficult now. The results are much more tighter. You know, um, etc. So that 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 has really really helped grow the game. I think, um, you know, with, with regards to sponsorship, I think that is still lacking a bit, you know, with assisting teams because the only way they can sustain themselves is through sponsorship. But we are hoping by winning the bid for 2027, it will really give us that extra push to get more sponsors um, in the game, to get a professional league up and running because, you know, we're competing against teams that are fully professional and it shows, you know... Um, what we've done so far is amazing. Imagine if we had a fully-fledged professional league, what we can do with all of that. But yeah, coach, it, you know, it's not only Banyana Banyana's second kind of appearance at the World Cup, but also I think almost to the day, I think it was a week ago, it's the 30th anniversary of Banyana Banyana even existing kind of and, and kicking off. So kind of for you, 
what is the 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 difference the biggest difference i'm sure there's so many of where you were in 1993 when you were there playing in that game against Iswatini to where you are now as, as the coach of Banyana Banyana? I mean, I, I played until 2002 and I only gone at 32 caps. That's already a huge difference. You know, um, I think if you look, if you look in a year, we have 14, 15 international matches sometimes. And yeah, I gone at 32 in, a, in, in, in almost a 10 year period. You know, um, the sponsorship that has come on board, I remember us having one t-shirt and, you know, didn't have a sponsor at the time. Um, not in my wildest imagination could I have thought that we would play the USA more than once. You know, mm. back then, I think the first team we played was almost at the end of my international career when we played the likes of uh, the Netherlands. Um, now we've played them three or four times, you know. We've played Sweden, uh, we've played France, Japan, you know, all these top teams. I think that has changed a lot. And even though we are ranked number 54 in the world, there's still a lot of teams that still want to play us because of what we offer and what we bring. I think that has changed a lot. We have a lot uh, pl uh, more players playing at better clubs abroad. You know, who would have ever thought that we'd have someone at AC Milan or Atletico Madrid just to be, you know, and we've had players there, you know, Tembi and, and Rafilwe Jani. And uh, I mean, that would never have happened in the past. So, you know, um, all of those things have changed. University football has gotten gotten bigger and better. You know, you have a club champs where all the universities need to have a female team. You have now the varsity cup where the top eight um, clubs, are, top eight varsities play against each other, you know, on a, on, on a regular basis. I think when you look at around the country too, you have uh, local football association leagues. In Gauteng, you currently have a Gauteng Development League for under-15 girls. So Janine has her own schools league. So a lot of things have changed, you know, since then. There are more opportunities now. You know, back in the day when I was playing in the national team, I think we only had three players that were employed. The others were all unemployed. Now 99.9%, if I must say, you know, have degrees, more than one. Some have three. Some are still currently studying, you know. Um, so a lot of things have changed for the better. And and kind of, it's not often that we we have someone who's witnessed the literal kind of birth of a nation in terms of footballing. Well, take us back. What was that actually like? Kind of in nineteen ninety three. You know, how did the team come about? How were you contacted? You know, were there trials or you know how, what even happened? Yeah, the, our late president uh, Nelson Mandela was released, and um, we got the opportunity to go and try it for the national team. And Terry Payne was our was our first coach, um, and um, we went up in a minibus, um, you know, uh, got together with a group of players and the first squad was selected and I was the vice captain of that squad and we were all just happy to play. You know, you have this dream of playing for the national team and then finally yeah, it's happening and I'm 30 years old and I'm 30 years old, I'm 30 years old and I, and, and I, and I, and I um, am now living my dream, you know, and I think that, that um, back in the day was great, but we didn't play as often as they do now. We'd only play when there's a competition like the AFCON. Um, if nothing happened in the year in between, we, we would do absolutely nothing. And then we'd all of a sudden just come together and, uh, you know, play a competition. Back in the day, there wasn't really qualification for youth tournaments, you know. Um, our U17 qualified for the first time in 2010 and then eight years later qualified, qualified as well. Um, you now have the regular Kosafa Cups, not just for seniors, but you have now for youth as, uh, as well. I mean, I played in um, in 2002, 
And then I think there was one in 2008 and 2011. And then the next one was only in 2017. There's bursaries now for, for young players out there, both locally and abroad. You know, so those opportunities have all opened up. I think, um, you know, it can still be better. Uh, we're not saying it's enough, um, you know, but a lot has changed. Um, you know, equal pay now as well, you know, after winning that medal. Uh, things have changed a bit for the better, um, you know, but uh, there's always more that can be done uh, in terms of development, you know. There's a lot more that can be done. You know, we don't play a lot of football in our schools. Um, that happened in the past when I, um, you know, uh, after I stopped playing, but it happened in the past. And I think there's a lot that can still be done, but we're not where we were. We're in a better place. Sam, I wanted to ask you, I mean, we've heard the story told, but it's just the most fascinating story about taking the... The, the the bus over to Eswatini, playing that game, beating them, coming back and having this punctured tire and and not being able to get back to your work in time. I mean, looking back now, it, it seems funny, but I guess it wasn't that funny on the day, right? No, it wasn't. We all have to make a living somehow. Um, you know, we traveled from Cape Town actually, um, and uh, played them in uh, played them in Johannesburg and. Um, and on the way, we got a puncture and I got, and they said that I absconded and one of our late administrators actually came to see them and they were not interested, um, you know, and so I was out of work for three years. Wow. And, and, and I also, I wanted to ask that, I mean, that is brutal. Like in terms of that, for for you as someone and for the other teammates you had in those times, particularly kind of in the, in the 90s for those years, you know, how how did you kind of sustain yourself going through those? Like, I remember when we spoke after the AFCON final, you were talking about how, you know, you had to give up the chance to get your UEFA B license because, you know, it was either that or keeping your car or your house, you know, like how how was that in terms of, you know, trying to navigate, oh, I'm, I'm, play, I'm an international, you know, athlete playing football, but at the same time, you know, I have to, I have to make, you know, get bread and, you know, just keep going about my daily life. In actual fact, I also did the door-to-door -door sales, uh, you know, the people that go around to your door to sell you stuff. So mm. that was also one of the jobs that I did. I worked at uh, a sort of bakery, but that also um, sold food. You know, you weigh the food in a container and you, and you sell it uh, to people. So I worked at that as well, um, you know, uh, did um, fan letters for kickoff, um, you know, typed the fan letters out for, for the editor and uh, packed subscription in the subscription department and then rush and take a taxi until I got uh, a full-time job in the, as a picture editor at Touchline Media, you know, um, until obviously I became an ambassador for the 2010 World Cup. And it was still not easy, though, because, you know, after the first camp for the national team, all your leave would be gone and everything else that you do after is unpaid leave. So whatever monies we got, which wasn't a lot in the day, I had to put that aside and make sure that I'd at least cover a portion of my salary. Did you enjoy being a picture editor? Did you feel that maybe the media was a, a career <laughs> worth getting into? I actually enjoyed it because it was something involved in sport. It actually broadened my knowledge on not just football, but all other sports. Because um, when somebody came in for something or there was something that happened, uh, some newsworthy thing that happened, and they um, had to come in to get a picture, I had to already be on top of it to know what it is that they were looking for. And, um, you know, I you know got to DSTV, got a TV to make sure that I'm impressed with whether it's golf or gymnastics or whatever it may be. 
if a client yeah. asks for a particular picture, I know exactly what they're looking for because, you know, I, I know it's happened. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, when football came along and offered me better opportunities, I couldn't say no. Yeah, I want to just ask you a little and, bit and, and about. Um, oh, sorry, Alistair. I just thought. Uh, a good, no, no, go for it. <laughs> um, chance to ask you, Desiree. You know, you, you mentioned about, and not just you, but a lot of the the women of the pioneering generation of, of sports professionals learnt and and nurtured their passion through playing with boys. And I think we're going to see in maybe the next 10 or 20 years that girls will be able to play with girls and be able to play in girls' teams and the structures will be there for them. And I'm just wondering your opinion on, you know, is there an advantage to learning the game through playing with boys or would it be better to just have your own girls' structure from the get-go? And, and do you think it'll change the kind of professional sports person we'll get? I think, um, I think it's better. I think uh, the boys don't stand back um, thinking that you're a girl because they don't want to be embarrassed. I think uh, you have to be mentally much stronger. You have to be stronger as an individual. You have to work on your skill um, much more because uh, everything is quicker. I think uh, that really helps. You even encourage players nowadays to, to practice once or twice with boys because of the intensity level. I think that has that has really helped. I think um, around the world they still have mixed football um, uh, around the world, where girls just don't play on their own and boys, but they have mixed football. I think uh, that is really important, especially in the foundation phase. It's really, really important. Mm. Where you see an under eight girl, uh, a ten year old girl playing in an under eight boys team, and you know, and I've picked up many many players playing in boys football. They have the tactical and technical ability because some were even captains of boys teams um, because of, of, of what they can do, um, you know, and I think that has really helped me, you know, be a better player um, than uh, playing just with girls. Um, I think it's uh, both character made me stronger. I needed to be better at everything to be able to compete with boys. And, and what are the areas, you know, we, we, you, you speak about this, Desiree, and we were talking before we kind of started the podcast is, is one of the things you're up to now is launching your new book that you've, you've recently you know, got published, a biography about yourself, and it's called Magic, you know, where, and where is the inspiration behind that name? Because I think it has to do with a lot of, a lot of this. Actually, when I played uh, interprovincial football um, in the early 70s, uh, uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, we played against a team called Southern Transvaal. That is like Gauteng, but the southern part of Gauteng. And um, according to this uh, lady, Michelle, um, I humiliated them on the field. Uh, and, and that's when she gave me the name Magic, um, you know, um, until one of my teammates much later, when we started playing for Banyana, called me Dumpy. Now, if you're from Cape Town, you know it's a, it's a small bottle. Um, smaller than a 500 uh, mil. Um, that's what they call a dumpy. Um, and she would put the, all the bottles down and she would find the small bottle that resembled me. Uh, and that's where I got that nickname from. And when I was <laughs> speaking to my manager, you know, talking about that and magic came up and he said, that would be great for a book because everything that has happened has been magical. Yeah. That's such an amazing story. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's almost like a little bit of goosebumps coming up when you when you talk about the just the celebration of your career so far. And and I want to ask you about this these two amazing things that have happened recently. The one is 
the mural that's been painted of you in, in Salt River, mm. which is just, it's one of the most beautiful things I've seen. And it's also so rare to see a woman, and especially a woman sports person, you know, there on a mural in, in the middle of part of the city. Mm. And then the um, award that you received from President Cyril Ramaphosa, you know, recognizing you as an outstanding South African. Mm. How do you reflect on these two things? And, and I mean, can you believe it? Can you sometimes be like, wow, this is me? <laughs> no, most definitely, you know, we don't do things for awards and rewards. I think the I spent most of my 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 school days um, in Salt River, even even though we didn't live mm-hmm. there. It was a trek every morning, Monday to Friday, during my junior and senior years. Um, you know, to Salt River because my parents both worked, and we stayed by my grandmother afterwards. And the Salt River Heritage uh, Society decided to put up that mural. I wasn't present at the unveiling. Um, you know, my mother and my rest of my siblings were present. And uh, when I saw it at first hand, it was very emotional. Um, I didn't realize the impact because looking at the pictures, you you go, wow. But when you're right there in front of it, you know, um, it just gives you that goosebump feeling. So uh, I just think it's another way of saying to that young girl out there that anything is possible. You know, um, even if it doesn't happen immediately, keep believing and keep hoping that that is going to happen. Um, but make sure that when it does happen, that you are ready. Uh, with regards to the Ikamanga in, in gold, um, I was really surprised, to be honest, um, when I got a, a, a WhatsApp to say, can I send my email? And I just thought this is another invitation to, you know, a, a department uh, event. And then when I got the email, I was like, wow, it's like, it's like getting a knighthood, you know? <laughs> and for the first time and for the first time my mother attended an event um because she's always my brother and sister my brother or my sister is always going with me or in, when I'm not around in my place and then it's the first time my mother attended the event and it made it really really special you know like I say you don't do things for awards and rewards um, but it just shows that we as a group Banyana is on the right track you know um we on uh, on a group uh, as Banyana are trusting the process and, uh, you know, the word is for everyone involved in women's football because I don't work by myself, you know. I work with other people. I work with staff around me. I work with players, um, the broader coaches out there. So it's a reward for everyone for everything that they put into into women's football. Yeah. And can I just ask you, when I cut off earlier, the, you were talking so beautifully about the bid and, and 2027. And, and what I wanted to know from you is you, you sounded really optimistic and, and positive. And I guess the state in our country now, you know, we've got a widespread power cuts and uh, th- things, the economy shrinking and so on. But, and we're coming up against some really big bids, Brazil, the US, Mexico, and then, and then the European bid. Do you think this country has something to offer world football? And, and do you think we should get the bid? And why, why should we? Why should that World Cup be here? Look, everybody talks about the economy and about the challenges that we face. But I remember in 2010, we also had already outages mm-hmm. and power cuts. And we ran a very successful um, World Cup. And it's never been to Africa. And for the first time, Africa is bidding. And uh, we, I think we have as much a chance as everybody else um, that's part of the bid. We have the infrastructure. The stadiums are there already. Um, there's a few things, obviously, that needs to be upgraded. I think it will be good for the women's game. I think everything that will come out of there, I think, uh, and I say it um, you know, with 100% honesty, I think a, a professional league will grow out of that. I think uh, with the sponsorship coming on board and a lot of other things being put into place for women's football will, will help the women's game going forward. 
I think that is going to be really key, um, you know, and our leagues will get better. We'll have more uh, people involved. We'll have more young girls coming through. Uh, everything in, in terms of, of, of women's football will be better. The money that will come in, the legacy that will be there, you know, will be very important for women's football to start that professional league, will be very important for, 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 for women's football to bring more sponsorship on board, will be very uh, important for women's football to put structures in place you know, that will grow the women's game, that will assist the women's game. So, you know, it's not, not just about the World Cup. Um, and yes, the, people might say that, you know, the country's in not such a good state and people might say that, why are we bidding? We're not ready, um, you know, but when are we going to be ready? You know, here's an ample opportunity for us to bid for that. And, you know, like I said, it's never been to Africa. And who wouldn't want to have it here for the first time? You know, I think um, our president has gone around the African continent and got the support of Kusafa, you know, gone to CAF and trying to get the support of all 54, um, you know, uh, countries on the African continent. And it's not just it's not just for South Africa. Remember, the last World Cup was not just about South Africa, but there were a lot of things being done on the continent in other countries as well through the through the World Cup. And I think it's not just us that will benefit but also everybody else on the continent. And, and coach, kind of, it, it's like you said, it's the first time that an African country has even bid. We've seen so many of these landmarks over the last couple of years in terms of, you know, at the last AFCON, there was, you know, the, the record attendance and in terms of viewers and, you know, prize money. And now we're seeing the first time African team is, you know, ho trying to, to bid for, to, to host the World Cup. And that would, you know, be an amazing step again if, if we could host it. Is there a part of you kind of, is there, is, is, is there a part of you that says, man, I wish I was coming through as a professional now and not kind of 30 years ago when I had to go and, you know, work for this and play only 30 times over 10 years, even if I'm, you know, vice captain or captain, is there a part of you that kind of not wishes you could, you could have been part of that? Not at, not all. at all. Not at all. You know, we always say to the players that, you know, you, the generations that have come before have created opportunities and the next generation will create opportunities for the next generation and we needed to start somewhere um, my life wouldn't have turned out as amazing as it did and I cannot begrudge um, the current players the opportunities that they are getting now because you know the pioneers opened the doors and the next generation opened more doors and created more opportunities and and this current group will create so much opportunities this current group might not play um, in a professional league but maybe the next generation to come will do that so you know, we can't. I can't begrudge anyone what what's happening because that's that's their destiny. You know, um, playing abroad, um, you know, being able to play football as a, for a living, um, and doing what you love and getting paid for it. Um, you know, didn't happen in my lifetime, but we all hoped that it would happen for some. I remember when we were going to the WAFCON in 2022, Amanda Dlamini said to me, it's personal. And I absolutely agree with her because it wasn't just about that group that was there. It was about those that have come before, you know, that had this dream of winning the WAFCON, that had this dream of qualifying for the World Cup. And we've done that. And I think through that, everybody's dreams have been realized. And I think it's almost brought peace to those that have come before that to say, you know, not that group has done it, but we've done it, you know, we've won it, we've qualified. So whatever is coming to them is what they deserve, you know, is what they deserve for everything that everyone has put in, but also everything that they've put in. And 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 for you, who who are those pioneers? Because a lot of us won't have heard them. Who were the people who came before you and the ones who even, you know, first 
were able to let you play for Banyana Banyana in 1993? Like, who are the pioneers that maybe we haven't heard of who've made that difference in your life and subsequently in, you know, players as young as, you know, maybe in Tabasing Magia, you know, these guys are 18, 19. Who are the ones that came before you to open your doors? Look, um, maybe a lot of administrators before, you know, um, some of them have passed on, some of them we don't know. But through their efforts and through their fights, um, you know, we were able to get this opportunity to play. That's why we, we remember, you know, um, Freedom Day and uh, Human Rights Day and all of those days because those are the people that really, you know, created those opportunities for us to be able to do what we love, you know. Um, and then the group that I was with, you know, that group, um, uh, you know, Kabuzita, um, Amina Samuels, Bertha King, you know, uh, Penny Keith, Anthea Charles was the first captain, you know, those, those group of players, Sibongeli Kumalu, and the administrators, Nomsa Klang, who's been involved in South African football for a very long time, but now involved a lot more in university football, you know, Fran Inputs, Hilton Smith, Ilam Grunewald, you know, um, other administrators that, you know, no longer part of, uh, of of women's football, all of them have played a very, very crucial role, you know, in creating those opportunities for us, you know, and, and uh, there's so many that you can mention, coaches that have come before, so, so many, you know, but there's too many to mention and some, like I say, some have come even, even some or some that we don't even know um, that have created these chances for us. That, 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 no, I, I think that's really say? powerful. And I, like we said, oh, sorry, oh, sorry let's go for it. I think we're having No, so I'm just going to say, so, so Desiree, you've kind of <laughs> said, you know, a, a door was opened, a platform was laid. Uh, you're at kind of the pinnacle point now of, of where we think thing, things have developed. I mean, you've won the AFCON, you're going to the World Cup. But kind of what, what would you like to see happen beyond a professional league next for, for yourself as you know, the coach of Banyana Banyana. And then for the group of players, you know, someone like a Janine, who I guess may not play, well, I mean, I hope she does, but may not play, you know, again. But what, what happens next for this group that's really created something? I think just to create more opportunities to become good ambassadors, to create those opportunities for the others that are coming after. I think if you do well at where you are, that opens up doors and avenues for everybody else, you know, um, mm -hmm. making more opportunities available, not just in coaching, but other opportunities, because not everyone's going to be a coach, you know, making sure that we have maybe a career transitioning program where these players can mm -hmm. find out what they're good at and then take, take that opportunity up and, and make sure that, you know, there's opportunities for others, um, you know, and I think that has really been key and that's where university football has come in a lot because a lot of the females that played in national teams or were on coaching courses with me are currently coaches in the Hollywood Bet Super League and that's mm -hmm. opportunities that has been okay. created for them. You know, when this generation now playing abroad, um, who would have thought that we'd have so many players playing abroad and the, yeah. the, the, the better they do, the more opportunities there are for others. Um, and even though we, you know, we rank number 54, people are still wanting our players. I think that is that is the most yeah. important thing. You know, the administrators that are there, you know, are giving good advice. The administrators that are there, we can still tap into their into their knowledge and their advisors and, and be able to, to do better. But also to make sure that we consistently educate ourselves because you know we work with players that understand the game, players that know the game. And our job as coaches is to is to make them better, but not just better as footballers, because they're there because they can play football. It's to make them a better individual holistically, because 
life after football is very important and you know some forget and uh, you know think that they can play forever but nobody plays forever no and i'm so glad you said that because what we're seeing across sporting codes whether it's tennis cricket rugby is increased awareness of of mental health issues of exactly what you mentioned life after sport but also in sport you know suddenly coming into money and then not knowing how to manage it or uh, coming into fame and having all these people around you and you don't know what to do with that how have you seen that change and and how do you think that women especially with you know the, the complications of of womanhood and and that sort of thing are dealing with this boom in professional sport and and kind of how will will it progress in the years to come I think women are different I'm not saying that men are not naturists but I think women are different um you know you see men buying three four cars you can only drive one car at a time you know right? and that doesn't make sense and you look at the when you speak to our players they've either built a house or they've built a room or they putting money together to purchase a house um yes they do buy a car but um maybe not the most expensive car um and make sure that their family is okay um you know family is precious so uh, that's what a lot of, of our players have done and in the women's game there are a lot more players that have degrees um you know that in the in the males game not that we're trying to compare but that's the huge difference where you know they've gone out and they've realized that in south africa is not a professional sport so they need to prepare for life after football you know um and make sure that when when the game is over for them um you know that they have something to fall back on um we have some young players you mentioned Tabi Singh Majia i consistently ask her for pictures of the house that she says she's going to build a mother um you know because for an 18 year old to have such a lot of money we need to make sure but what was exciting was that Cecil actually had a sort of a financial workshop um to make sure that the players understood tax um budgets etc um because coming into such a lot of money you needed to make sure that they understand um you know how to work with money and i remind players all the time too that the national team is not like you get paid every month so make sure that you mm. put that money to good use because you are selected um you know and you might not get selected the next time so make sure that's extra um to what you currently getting and if you are not getting that is still extra because it's not something that you had budgeted for planned for so make sure that when you stop playing one day you can say i use this money for that or that or that mm. and i was going to ask on that you know in in women's sport you know more than men's i think you know because in in many senses we've been let down by the commercial side of things in terms of clubs haven't caught on to building academies you know across the world is that university has stepped in to to take that place in terms of access to playing at the highest level you know and i think also because the us has been the driver of you know women's football in the national and they obviously have the university system do you think that kind of that gives a lot of you know female footballers a big advantage over the males you know mm-hmm. counterparts in terms of if you want to succeed you know like you said most of the players in your team have university degrees they have to be really well educated because that's the only way you can play football and and you know if that is a a good thing for them you know how do you then balance that with the idea that hopefully we then professionalize these academies and they don't have to go to university if they want to play football you know what are your thoughts on that i think it's a bit different for the men because they already get to play in academies at a very young age uh, around the mm-hmm. country um they get to play professional football um you know we have a sort of a, a third division that's um semi professional you have the national first division that's probably fully professional along with the premiership 
Um, but in women's football, you don't have that. So from a young age, many of them are already playing professional football and many of them are not studying. You have some players that have gone uh, while they were playing to complete studies. I know Percy Tao, I know Jimmy Tao, um, just to mention, you know, two players that I know of that are studies. There are many others, but in the women's game, the opportunity that you get um, to studies, your parents cannot afford to assist you in, in, in studying further. Um, and you also get that opportunity to, to play because the university has teams as well, whether you play in the university competition or whether you play in the league. You know, we have university teams in the Hollywood Bet Super League. We have university teams in the, in the SESA League, which is in the nine provinces around the country. So the opportunity for you to play, but also to study, is, is huge. You also are now being scouted by universities abroad, you know, to especially the USA to come and play there. But also, on the other hand, um, you know, contracts abroad to play professionally is also happening. And, uh, you know, countries are not targeting younger and younger players. It's not more a 26-year-old. It's now 18 or 19-year-old that they're targeting. You know, so those those opportunities are all there. So the game, it's changing, you know, um, completely. But we know the backgrounds that the players come from and, Parents reiterate that education is important, that you need to have something to fall back on because not everybody is going to make it into the national team or not everybody is going to be that superstar. I mean, even our players that play abroad, you know, have completed degrees. So they just needed to make sure, you know, um, because the game was not professional, they needed to find something else. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Coach, we're, we're, we really appreciate the time you've given us. We're going to wrap up soon. I have one more question. <laughs> And I know you're going to just tell me you're focused on the World Cup. But for you, Coach Desiree Ellis, you know, you've you've done so much with Banyana Banyana. You've gotten to two AFCON finals. You've won one. You've gotten to two World Cup. Hopefully, we'll, we'll hear in a couple months that you've won a World Cup final. Um, but for you, what are you... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, fingers crossed, touch wood, et cetera. Um, for you, looking past the World Cup, do you have any am ambitions of you know, coaching outside of South Africa, you know, getting into club football, you know, what, what, what is, you know, post 2023 look like for Desiree Ellis? I cannot say that I cannot say anything right now. I'm still contracted until, until after the Olympics. Um, but we never know which direction God is going to take us. Um, you know, um, there's been in the past opportunities, but um, I felt that the project was not done, um, you know, especially with coming so close in 2018, I felt that we still needed to finish this project. Um, I, I cannot really say what will happen in the future, um, but if opportunities are there, you know, we never know um, what opportunities there are. And I feel if I feel it's a good enough opportunity to grow, if it's a good enough opportunity to be better, obviously I will have a look at that and speak to my management team and find the best way forward. Um, currently, I'm very happy where I am, uh, very excited. Um, with the team and the players and everyone. It's like a big family. It's like an extended family away from home. And uh, other than that, we have this huge task ahead of us where the expectations are so high and even higher now that we, the African champions, um, even higher. But uh, realistically, you know, uh, we want to do well. Um, we want to possibly get out of the group stage and that will be huge because you never know what can happen after, but it's it's all about that first game, you know, and uh, for me, it's always a collective. It's never about one individual and um, 
the team doesn't do well though, then it's about me. Yeah. <laughs> then, it becomes about the, then it becomes about the individual. <laughs> but uh, other than that, um, we always look at the bigger picture and we always look at the collective because we say if the team does well, you know, the collective, uh, the individuals will stand out. So we're hoping that uh, we can put that team ethic and that teamwork together and make the whole country proud and put a lot more smiles on, uh, on us, uh, especially in the country going through a lot of challenges. Because our president, Dr. Jadan, always says, you know, as footballers, you entertainers, you know, people come out. And for that 90 minutes, you know, they forget all about the problems. Um, and for that 90 minutes, when you put a smile on their face for that 90 minutes, they forget about everything. So we're hoping during the World Cup that, uh, you know, we can put smiles on the people's faces. But it's never about one individual. It's all always about the collective. And coach, you certainly will be putting a smile on our face when we watch you guys go up against Sweden and, and in that first game at the World Cup. We cannot wait to watch. Thank you so much, coach, for joining us. And for you, those of you who are listening, watching along on YouTube, we have plenty more content coming out for the World Cup. Uh, we've got some interviews lined up, some exciting stuff. We'll be covering the tournament in full as well as women's football going beyond as you know oftentimes we see that it's kind of women's football coverage in particular is restricted to tournaments but we want to see it grow we want to see more of that coverage and that's you know why Ferdos has joined us as well so please give us a follow on otw underscore podcast on twitter instagram facebook we've just started a tiktok account um, which i'm very much struggling to run but please give us a follow there coach thank you so much for joining us we cannot wait to watch you play your, your you know play in in New Zealand